Welcome back to the Kentucky Resilience Podcast. This is Ken, and my special guest today is none other than Alicia Carrillo. Some of you know her as Alicia, others know her as Carrillo, but I'm going to be referring to her as Carrillo. But anyways, Carrillo graduated from UK with her second master's in 2018, 2019? 19. 2019, it's been that long. And sport and exercise psychology, which is why she's on the podcast today. She's my predecessor, and she's a big part of the reason I'm even here, and I'm even who I am today. She is a former student athlete, so she's getting, and she's lived through everything that we're going to talk about, and she is a current strength coach. So just to start things off, Creo, I just want to talk about kind of your path and your interest in trying to correlate strength conditioning to sport and exercise psychology? Yeah, so uh, as Knox said, I um, graduated from UK last year with a master's in sports psychology. I actually started the program a couple, I want to say like one month, maybe two months into my my first year technically as a graduate assistant at UK. Um, Originally I was going the sport leadership route. I didn't even know we had a sport psych program at the time. It was in its infancy uh, trial stages, if you will. And I honestly, I'm not even sure, not certain how I, how I heard about it, but I heard about it and I emailed Dr. Cormier and essentially was like, Hey, can I meet with you and like join your program? And you know, Next thing we knew, I had switched over. Um, That's kind of like the logistics of it. But why I did it was, well, I mean, honestly, I was kind of like a lot of people probably getting into it. uh, And like a lot of people probably currently are where I didn't really buy into the whole sports psych thing. I was like, yeah, imagery, goal setting, like blah, 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 like next. Just like tell me what to do. Um, Kind of thought it was just them like, you know, nonsense. And my mom is actually a sports psychology professional. She works with the U.S. military. And even as she started out, I I kind of started to get a little bit more interested, but I was still kind of like, "Eh, yeah, not for me. You do the mental stuff. I'll handle the physical stuff. And uh, just eventually through getting to know her coworkers um, and learning more about what she was doing, I kind of, uh, started to realize the importance and I saw some of the buy-in that she created in the military and I'm like all right if she can get these you know special forces um, army guys to to buy into this maybe maybe I need to start paying a little bit more attention and then doing some self-reflection which is always good uh, upon my own career as an athlete I realized that I was kind of just a mental basket case and I probably could have benefited from having a sports psychology professional um at the time. So when I heard of this program, I thought, you know, I, I have my certification in strength and conditioning. I have a background in human performance. I have a degree in sport medicine. What is another tool that I can put in my toolbox and 
for me, sports psychology made more sense. Um, it was more aligned with what I wanted to do at the time and currently, which is just help develop athletes in all senses. Obviously, at the end of the day, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, um, but I like having those other avenues to kind of enhance what what I am doing, whereas sport leadership um, had a lot of great things to offer, but probably more geared towards somebody that wanted to go the administrative route or even being a director, which, you know, as a young coach in the field was, was not really um, at the front of my mind. Yeah, no, I completely got you. And I know for myself that kind of growing up, maybe like in the latter stages of undergrad, but growing up prior to that, I didn't even necessarily know anything about sports psychology. And I feel like that's the kind of biggest thing in terms of educating the student athlete or even educating other coaches. And it's kind of like you said, where they know about goal setting, they know about imagery, but do they actually know all the great benefits that sport and exercise psychology can provide for the student athletes or even themselves? And I know personal story, one of the biggest things that Creo taught me while she was here is like, a lot of it's mental and a lot of getting through tough workouts or getting through tough things is about what you're saying to yourself internally. And if she hadn't taught me how to properly use self-talk and all the things she taught me with sport and exercise psychology, then I definitely wouldn't be nearly as good of a strength coach as I am today. And that's not to say that I'm a great strength coach, but imagine what I would have been if she hadn't been in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I taught you something. (laughs) Exactly. So you are, you just graduated last year with your second master's in sport and exercise psychology. And you kind of mentioned like when you were first starting out as a student athlete, you didn't really buy the whole sports psychology mumbo jumbo. So when you started becoming interested in sports psych, how are some ways that you kind of incorporated into your training and then how do you incorporate into other student-athletes' training? Yeah, so I think uh, part of the reason why um, a lot of people don't necessarily buy into it or don't really want to try it out is because they they don't really understand what it is. And kind of like you just touched on, like whether you know it or not, you are using some form of psychology at all times. Um, If any type of self-talk, which we're constantly talking to ourselves, that's our, like, thought process right is you know it's going to be positive it's going to be negative it might be neutral um so when i kind of dove a little bit deeper into it and i realized like yeah goal setting and imagery those are all great things and tools but that's really just like the tip of the iceberg and uh there's so much more um below the surface and i know in the last couple years mindfulness has been like a big hot topic right everyone talks about mindfulness and even that you know on its base level like of understanding people are like oh meditation like i don't want to do that um and yeah like if you think that mindfulness is sitting in a dark room meditating for 30 minutes which it can be then you might not be super keen to just jump on and try that out um but one thing i learned from dr cormier and his classes and you know reading and stuff is it's really just you know being being where your thoughts are being aware of like the present moment and just kind of like acknowledging what is, what is going on and being a little bit neutral about it. Um, And so small challenges that he did, like, okay, focus on just your breath for two minutes. And you're like, yeah, no problem. Got this. And then 
you're like, wow, I couldn't even focus on breathing in and out for two minutes without my mind wandering. Um, and having him, you know, he's like, yeah, it's fine if your mind wanders. That's, that's not the point. The point is just to acknowledge it and bring it back to center. And, you know, being competitive and being of the athletic mindset, I'm like, well, I don't want to be bad at this. Like, I'm bad at thinking. Okay. <laughs> like, if I can't even think about my breathing, what can I do? <laughs> so that, that was kind of like where I was like, okay. So it's like very small things like daily that you can kind of start to implement. And so... Um, going forward, I think I, I did kind of take the, the big picture approach at first with athletes where it was like, yeah, let's do goal setting. Let's talk about this. Let's get real deep into it. And it's like, whoa, wait, wait, why am I trying to prescribe the very things that I was like, no, this is a bunch of like foo-foo nonsense, which it's not, but it's like, start, start small, start on like a more basic level, um, and grow out from there. And so, I kind of just started like observing my athletes, um, observing things that they said in the weight room, if what they attributed to whether it was their failures, successes. Um, I started asking them uh, after a tough workout, I would go around with like women's tennis and ask, I'd pick like two people who did well and two people who did poorly. And I'd be like, so what were you thinking about during that last run? Uh, and then just, listening to what they said and like brainstorming in real time ways with the other athletes, how we could, you know, either incorporate that in their own training or like how we could rephrase certain things. So generally you start to see the pattern, right. Where the athletes who are succeeding or maybe they're playing mind games. They're like, just push it harder for, you know, 10 more yards and then you can slow down. Um, maybe they're using positive self-talk. Maybe the athletes that are performed worse we're focusing on you know everything that hurt or how hard it was or how much they had left uh, and so just kind of using like those real-time experiences and seeing how we could set up for success in that next run or next workout um and then yeah just i guess gosh i mean there's there's a million ways that you can incorporate it but really just being Another one that I like is just being purposeful with everything you do. And I think coaches talk about that a lot, but I think they talk about it more. They don't really consider the mental component of it. So we're always like, have purpose behind your movements. Like, you know, don't just rush through it, but it's like, well, why are we saying that? What are we actually trying to achieve? And it's kind of that like mind muscle connection. And, you know, you can go into the research about the, you know, that shows the benefits of, of that, of actually thinking about which muscle is working and how that ties into hypertrophy and we can go down that rabbit hole, but um, just getting the athletes to, to be present and realize why they're doing things. And not only does that benefit their training, it creates a sense of buy-in and they're practicing mindfulness at the same time. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have two things now, first for the audience, when Carrillo mentions mindfulness and Cormier mentions, try to slow your breathing down, focus on your breath for two minutes. If you tried that or you thought about practicing that after that you were listening to this, make sure you give this post a like. Secondly, you mentioned that you kind of asked the student athletes for feedback after a session and you would ask a couple that did really well, a couple that didn't do so well. What were some things, if you remember, that the athletes who did well that they said and the athletes that didn't do so well, what were some things that they said? Yeah, so I, I remember the athletes that did well, um, 
kind of like you got a range. I remember one specific athlete saying that they were focusing on their form. So we talked about our, like the arms a lot and kind of trying to control and use those with a purpose while running. And that's been something that she had struggled with a little bit. And so by taking her focus away from the actual run and the distance and the intensity and just putting the focus on something seemingly very minor that she could control. Uh, she said that seemed to help her. Um, another athlete said that she was just thinking that she wanted to be another member on her team and, you know, <laughs> external motivation. That's, you know, it works too. Yep. Um, really a combination of the two is what you're going to want. And then for the athletes that were struggling, I remember one saying she was just thinking about, how hard it was to breathe and how tired she was. Um, so again, focusing on something that's internal, but it's something that's negative and it's not really something that's necessarily in her control or at least didn't feel like it was in her control at that moment. Um, or And so in that sense, it's like, okay, so now that we're aware of that's what you're focusing on, we're not just going to be like, well, don't think about that. Think about this. It might just be like, okay, well, next time that happens, Think about like some of the breathing practices you've done or tools that we've developed. Uh, and again, returning to that, that breath, but on, in, a, in the sense that you can control it and not that the fact that you can't breathe is controlling you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. What are some things or maybe even the top thing that when a workout or a training session gets really hard for you that you kind of come back to? So, yeah, when something's getting hard for me, um, I very much, I'm all about control. So not in the sense that I'm a controlling person. Maybe I am. I'm not certain. I'll reflect on that later. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I think like just constantly going back, thinking about what you can control in the workout or the environment and choosing to focus on that is going to be 10 times more helpful than fixating on something outside of your control. So if I'm doing a heavy lift and I'm getting frustrated because, you know, I'm feel like I'm getting stapled by like my 70%. It's like, okay, well, am I really engaging my core correctly? Am I really driving through my legs? Like, let me, let me focus on that the next rep and see if like I get any difference out of it when I'm grinding through like a terrible conditioning workout, which God knows why I still put myself through those, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, like 11 years removed from college athletics, but here we are. Um, I'm more just like, I, I, I do two things. Usually one is I'll either be like, just focus on where we are right now. If I'm like, it's spiking for calories. I'm like, okay, just get one more, just get one more. Or, and, you know, focus on your form with this, um, but being very, like, present in what I'm doing, the task at hand versus kind of extent, like, looking further out of, like, oh, crap, well, after I get off the bike, I have to do burpees or something, because that's not going to help me bike any faster. Mm -hmm. In fact, it might make me, bike slower. Um, and then I like to play some mind games with myself, too. I think I've always done that a little bit, uh, even in my track days of, you know, just tricking myself, almost being like, okay, just go hard for one more calorie and then you can cruise like the next one and just almost like giving myself permission, even though I know I'm not going to do it, um, kind of helps me 
kind of helps me push and then just be like, oh, well, I did that one. I can do another one. So, I don't know. Yeah, no, I like that. So oftentimes you hear a lot of student athletes and they're asking, well, what do we have next? Or how much do we have? Or how many reps do we have? Or anything like that. And I think just trying to get them to understand that if you take it one exercise at a time or one rep at a time or whatever it is, then that'll help you in the long run get through things a lot better. So I just have one more question for you. Do you have any resources or books for the audience that you feel like would be pretty beneficial if someone is just starting to get into sports psych or if they're just in the beginning stages? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I honestly, I love looking into different theories of motivation. Um, and that's one of the courses I took with Dr. Usher at UK. It's probably, might've been my favorite course during my time there, but really even just like doing a search on different theories. A couple of my favorites are um, self-determination theory. I like attribution theory. Um, let's see. I mean, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is another good one, a good starting mm-hmm. point. And just kind of looking through those and seeing like, and realizing that they're not mutually exclusive, right? Like there's no one theory that's going to like just nail it and cover everything. And you can kind of like fit, piece them together and pull from from what seems appropriate for the situation. Um, so generally there, um, there's tons of great podcasts and resources. It's not even, hold on, I'm looking, I've got to, I got to pull up my podcast for some inspiration here for a second. Um, I do really enjoy Ben Bergeron's podcast, Chasing Excellence. He is not a sports psychology professional or anything. Um, I mean, he's a coach, he's a phenomenal coach, um, but he touches on just like some really great subjects that definitely relate to our field. Um, a lot of like mindset talk and he said some like really great things there. Um, and then lots of, I mean, there's lots of big names out there. There's Jim Aframo, there's Michael Gervais. They've, they have some great books. Um, follow them on Twitter, Instagram for some good things, but just kind of find something that kind of catches your interest and dive into it. Kind of, like I said earlier, you don't have to do everything at once. It's not, it's not about like being an expert on goal setting an expert on imagery and an expert on mindfulness. But if you just find a topic and just kind of go down a rabbit hole, there's tons of great information out there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. I just want to thank you for joining us today and dropping those knowledge bombs. And I appreciate you speaking with us. Appreciate you. Always good to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all we have today. Make sure you tune in next time for the Kentucky Resilience Podcast. Adios, friends.